Well, good morning. Good to see you. And my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Welcome to you who are joining us online as well. Glad you can be with us and be part of us. Um, hey, lots of new ways to, for if you're new or newer for you to connect. Discovery class next Sunday. It's a great time. Meet the pastors. As, uh, as Ashley shared, it's free, but you get what you pay for. So you're welcome to come hang out. We'd love to meet you and uh, get to know you after the service today. And of course, today is Valentine's Day. Did you know that? Are you hearing that for the first time right now? I hope not, guys. Um, you know, it reminds me of the story of the guy who he'd been married uh, 35 years. And so he thought, I want to do something special for my wife today. And uh, so he goes to the florist and he's going to get some flowers. And he walks in and he says, you know, uh, they say... Uh, if you got something to say, you should, uh, don't just say it with words, say it with flowers, right? And so the florist is excited about this guy. You know, here's how long he's been married. And Well, then how about three dozen of my finest roses? He goes, well, I've been married 35 years. I think maybe just a half dozen. She goes, a half do- why only a half dozen? That's a big accomplishment. He says, well, I'm a man of few words. <laughs> but um, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Come on. It's a groaner, but it's good. Hey, today we are in 1 Peter, and uh, we're actually going to be talking a little bit about love today. It's just kind of how God worked it out when we planned out the messages for this series that happened to land. I didn't even realize it until later, later in the week. I was, uh, this lands on Valentine's Day that we're talking about love. And so we'll talk about some other things today as well, but it shows up, not the mushy Valentine's Day love, but Christian biblical love for one another. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 22 and go to chapter 2, verse 3. And, uh, you know, I think even just by way of introduction, many of you know this, and if you didn't, you'll, you'll learn it now, but the, the verse numbers and chapter numbers in your Bible... Uh, they weren't there originally. When Peter wrote this letter, he didn't stop every now and then and add in a number, you know, just to help them find their way around. In fact, those numbers weren't added until the Middle Ages by a bunch of monks. They're studying God's word all the time, and they're like, uh, it'd, be, it'd be helpful if we could find our way around what we're talking about here a little easier. And so they added chapter numbers in 1250 AD, and then 300 years later, they're like, hey, this chapter thing's working out. Maybe we'll divide that up further. And they added verses in 1551. And when they did that, they tried to do it in such a way where they they just found kind of natural breaks in the thought and uh, the ideas in the text. And for the most part, it is. It's really helpful for finding our way around. But occasionally, you come across some divisions and you go, that's a strange place to divide that thought. And that's kind of what we land on today. But you got to keep in mind, those numbers aren't original. In fact, um, even in the original text in, in Greek and Hebrew, there was no punctuation. Often there was no even indication of space between sentences, sometimes even between words. So all of that stuff is added later, and that accounts to some degree of translation from uh, an ancient language into modern language and So every now and then there's some differences here and there just as we're trying to convey that thought as translators do that. So I I just want you to know that and have that in mind because as we read, when we, I'm going to read through the text here in a moment, when we hit chapter two and you see that giant two in your Bible, I don't want you to think, oh, okay, we're onto something new now. No, all this, all this flows together. Check this out. We're going to start reading together in chapter one, verse 22. 
Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So uh, with that, let me pray. And then we're going to circle back and unpack that passage together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Uh, your word is truth. Your word is life. It's, it's unfading. It, uh, it changes us. It gives us hope to make it through this life. And um, Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Holy Spirit, would you uh, teach us as we study your word? Would you work through me, teach me, and speak to me even as I speak your words? Might my words be your words? And uh, Jesus, we pray most that you would change us, that you would uh, give us joy, give us hope, give us love for one another, give us a desire and a longing for your word, and um, change us today, I pray. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Now, you might wonder, well, Josh, why would you say that all those verses go together? Why would you say that it, it, it kind of bridges that gap of the chapter? Well, uh, you'll see it, I think, as we go. You'll see things that relate back to everything we've studied so far in this series. But also, uh, just in this passage in particular, you'll notice he talks about being born again, that we're born again. And then, see, that's what happens when you become a Christian. It's like you're given new life. It's, it's so new, you're so radically new, so regenerated that, that you have new life. It's like you're born again. That's the terminology Jesus uses, Peter uses here, Paul uses. That's what, it, that's what it's talking about, new life in Christ. And, but then he also says a couple verses when we get into chapter two, like newborn infants, right on cue, we hear a little baby crying. Isn't that great to have life? And, and that's, that's what we're like. We're like newborn infants that we should long for pure spiritual milk, he says. And so he bridges this gap between being born again and a newborn baby. So uh, with that in mind, Peter's just, he starts out this letter pointing to the fact, pointing uh, to his readers and to us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been born again. And the question for you this morning is, I'm going to just say it like this, if you've truly been born again, because being born again isn't like showing up in church. It isn't going through the motions. It isn't just praying a prayer. It isn't, you know, all those churchy sort of things. It's, have you put your trust, like at a heart level, deep down, have you, have you trusted Jesus Christ with your life? Have you given your life to him? That's what it means to be born again, to, to turn to him in faith. And uh, Peter today, he's going to give us a couple marks of, of what real, true, saving faith is. Two marks of real faith. And so we just got to start off examining this. Have we truly been born again? See, Peter makes that assumption for those he's writing to. And uh, I hope this is true for you. Having purified your souls, he says, by your obedience to the truth, when he says that, having purified your souls, you might think of it as having consecrated 
all of who you are, given your life to Jesus. Uh, this is the only time in, in this letter that Peter refers to the truth. And as you trace this back, he uses the idea of obedience early in his letter and Verses, verse two, and he speaks of it there in terms of salvation. And so when he's saying, having purified yourself by obedience to the truth, what he's saying is, uh, having been made pure by obeying the gospel. This, this is relating to the gospel. That's the truth. I wonder, has that happened for you? Have you trusted Jesus? Has he made you new? Have you obeyed his call? Uh, Peter, uh, Peter's also on record in the book of Acts saying that it's, it's the call of God for all men everywhere to repent. Uh, to turn to Jesus. And he's saying, now that you've done that, uh, the, the word there uh, means to even to make holy, to be made pure. And what, this ha what happens then, I've already said it, but it's regeneration. That's obedience to the truth, to the gospel. You're, you're regenerated. You're made new. Brand new life. The old is gone. The new has come. It... Since you've been born again, that's the phrase that he uses, brand new life. Look at verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. <clears throat> perishable seed, uh, we're born physically, but we're mortal, aren't we? Because of our sin, we're, we're going to die. That's just one in one, people die. We all will, we'll face that one day. We're, we're gonna perish in our flesh. So, so Peter says, I'm not talking about that birth. I'm talking about being born spiritually. See, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. To where uh, Jesus says, when you trust him, when you believe upon him, you have eternal life. That's what he says. This is eternal life, that they believe in me. They believe, Father, in the one that you sent. That's eternal life. If you believe, you have it. It started for you. And it's based on, on something that's not going to fade away. It's, it's everlasting. It's imperishable. It comes through the living and abiding word of God. See, that's why we preach this word. That's why I get up here and I don't just, you know, share some clever thoughts. I, I tell bad jokes once in a while, but that's just to keep you awake. So you hear what's true, right? I mean, who, who cares what I have to share if it's not in this book or what anyone else up here would have to share? Uh, we're, we're born again of, of something not that's perishable, but imperishable. This borrows some language that Peter's already used. We saw last week in verses 18 and 19, he talked about being ransomed or redeemed, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with imperishable, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's, he's just, he's really driving this home. Like you've been redeemed. And in fact, then he goes on and he starts quoting from Isaiah, I think Isaiah might have been uh, one of Peter's favorite Old Testament books. And I have a feeling specifically chapter 40, if not all of Isaiah, was in the forefront of Peter's mind as he writes his letter. And for a handful of reasons that uh, we'll get into in a moment, but here's what he says. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8, which are kind of the, the highlight of that chapter in Isaiah. He says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And he says, in this word, this word that, that Isaiah is talking about is the good news that was preached to you, the truth, the gospel, 
It's enduring. It's enduring. Isn't that good news? You know, uh, all flesh is like grass. You ever think about that? Think about how fast grass can fade. I mean, I don't know about you, but my lawn around here, it looks great for a couple months in the spring and by late June, mid-July, it's just crunchy and it's faded. And it's just a reminder, like that's, yeah, that's, that's life on this earth. It's like, it's so quick in light of eternity. And uh, all my accomplishments, all the best things in life, right? Which, which are good things and good gifts God gives us to enjoy. And you ought to. But, but even that, it, it fades like a flower. I, I think of, I don't think Peter had this in mind when he wrote it, or Isaiah for that matter, when, when he wrote it originally. But I think of dandelions. How about you? When you're a kid, you look at the dandelions and they grow and they fill your yard and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. This is fantastic. And then a couple days later, they turn into these white fluffy things and they blow away and they're gone. And then you get old and you realize with more maturity, it's just a weed anyway. That's kind of a good reminder to us, isn't it? That, that we're here, enjoy life, have hope, be excited. God gives you hope. But ultimately, there's so much more for us to live for, isn't there? That, uh, you know, I, I think of it like this. You and I um, will probably only be remembered maybe another generation or two before we're forgotten. I mean, think about it for yourself. You, you, you know your parents, right? You can remember your parents. You remember their names. You remember things about them, maybe about their life and uh, good things about them. And uh, maybe you even knew your grandparents and you know their names, and, but you probably know less about them. Maybe you even have the fortune of knowing you know, a third generation back, your great-grandparents. I knew my great-grandma. She lived to be 97. And, uh, but beyond that, they're all just names and pictures, and I don't really know anything about them. What motivated them? What was their big accomplishments in life? Most, most of us will be, will kind of fade. Now, when you hear that, you go, man, that just sounds kind of hopeless, Josh. Like, that's a bummer. Thanks for, thanks for the good word today. Well, apart from Jesus, you're right, it is hopeless. It totally is hopeless. But that's why Peter says, uh, friend, you've been born again. This life will fade, but, but you've been born not of something that's going to perish, not just that, but something imperishable. Like you have eternal life waiting for you. In fact, you're experiencing it now if you've trusted Jesus. It's not just future, it's, it's now. It's today. And... Uh, that's just a good reminder to us. No wonder John Wesley, do you know John Wesley? You heard that name before? He wrote some hymns. He was a theologian. He was a church planter. And uh, he, he writes this about our need then uh, for this imperishable, imperishable, gotta quit using big words, word uh, both to change us and to sustain us and give us hope in this life. He said, he wrote this. He said, I'm a creature of a day. Talking about the brevity of life. I'm a spirit who's come from God and I'm, I'm going to return to him. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. God himself has condescended to teach me that way. He's written it down in a book. Like we like to say, God wrote it all down, right? He's written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. And in God's book, he found life. He found life. And we do, we believe that. God wrote it all down, that he's given us everything we need in this book uh, to uh, help us have eternal life, 
to give us hope and, and to know how to navigate this life and uh, to know the way to salvation, to, to joy and pleasure everlasting, right? And to have eternal life, not later, but now. And that can be yours, friend, if you trust Christ. Uh, C.T. Studd, he was a missionary uh, who uh, some things about his life were a little crazy. He kind of abandoned his family to go off into ministry, so I don't I worry about that about him. But, but in terms of his passion to love people and to proclaim the gospel, he had a quote that's really good. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And uh, it's true. And that's why Paul says, do everything for the Lord Jesus, right? That doesn't mean that your efforts or your life today is not worthwhile or there's nothing good about life right now. There is. And the effort you put in is to serve and to honor Jesus and those things endure. But especially his word. And we need to feed on it. We'll see that this morning. But I mentioned a bit ago before we quoted uh, Peter quoting Isaiah that I think Isaiah was probably one of Peter's favorite guys in the Old Testament. Surely he was on his mind as he wrote this book because Isaiah, if you don't know much about him, Isaiah prophesied during a time that was really, it was pretty bleak in Israel's history. The northern tribe was getting uh, sacked by the Assyrian army uh, shortly after he started his ministry and they were taken into exile. They were oppressed and while they were uh, in exile, uh, they were carried away to a foreign land. They, They had to have been wondering, is there any hope for me? Like, what about all these promises God made for my good? Is there any hope for me throughout all this? They had to wonder that. And so Isaiah, though, he's prophesying primarily to the southern kingdom where all that stuff is going to happen to them shortly after his ministry. And the last third, pretty much, of Isaiah's book, uh, God turns uh, him from prophesying about what's going to happen in terms of their needing to repent, and he starts prophesying about hope thing. But here's the good news. Here's the good thing that's going to sustain you. Here's what's going to help you make it through. And and starting in chapter 40 of Isaiah, I'm just going to read it to you. And you can read it with me on the screen. Isaiah writes this. Uh, God, God says, comfort my people. Comfort them. Speak tenderly to the people of Jerusalem. Announce to them that their hard service has been completed. That's a good word, isn't it? Uh, Tell them that their sin has been paid for. That's a better word. Tell them I've punished them enough for all their sins. A messenger is calling out in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make a straight road through it for our God. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be made level. The rough ground will be smoothed out. The rocky places will be made flat. I have a feeling some of this even is encouraging probably to the people Isaiah is prophesying to because when they are taken into exile and they they go uh, through the desert, they're in a desert place, right? They they have to, to travel there on foot over rocky ground, over hills and valleys, and it's a hard journey. And now there's hope because all of that will be smoothed out for the coming of God, for their hope. It'll be made flat. Then the glory of the Lord will appear. Everyone will see it. You ever wonder, like, am I going to miss it when Jesus comes back? You won't miss it. You won't miss it. Everyone will see it. The Lord has spoken. Another messenger says, cry out. And I said, well, what should I cry? 
cry out, all people, this is where Peter quotes from because it's kind of the highlight of this chapter. Cry out, all people are like grass. They, they don't last any longer than the flowers in the field. The grass dries up. The flowers fall to the ground. That, that happens when the Lord makes his wind blow on them. So people, are, they're just like grass. The grass dries up. The flowers fall to the ground. And again, on its own, that sounds, man, that's depressing, isn't it? Because I'm one of those people. But what our God says will stand forever. That's good news. Zion, you're bringing good news to your people. Go up on a high mountain and announce it. Jerusalem, you're bringing good news to them. Shout the message loudly. Shout it out loud. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Maybe we need to say that to ourselves, right? Our God is coming. It's good news. And he's here among us as well. Every thought here in Isaiah really fits what Peter has been writing and saying so far in 1 Peter. He's also addressing a group of people, uh, his immediate readers and us, of people who he says are in exile, who face oppression, who face things that are hard. And he gives them the same message that Isaiah did. Some things are going to perish, but, but there's better things that are eternal. Focus on those. Uh, some things are corrupted, but others are incorruptible. Uh, the things of this earth will fade away, but you have, he already said it in chapter one, right, that we've read, you have a what, what kind of a hope? A living hope. And what kind of an inheritance? An inheritance that's, that's unfading, that's imperishable, that's undefiled. In other words, all flesh is like the grass, it's glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, man, it remains forever. So I think Peter had Isaiah 40 on the top of his mind the whole time he's writing this letter. Maybe even all of Isaiah, or that last third of Isaiah, of hope for people who are struggling in this life. And, and he says, he ends it, this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter identifies the word of the Lord uh, in Isaiah as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your God is coming. Jesus is coming. He has come. And guess what? He's coming again. That's going to be awesome. Uh, you know, so far we've seen Peter uh, relate our being born again. If you're truly born again, he's related it to faith. Right? He talked about uh, in chapter one uh, that, that uh, being born again comes through faith in the gospel, through faith in Christ, and that even the trials we face in this life, the hard times, it, it tests our faith, it grows our faith so that we trust him more. And then he's also talked about hope. Last Sunday we saw it, right? Set your hope fully on what? On the grace that'll be brought to you. The great, when you already have grace that's been given to you, which is great. Enjoy that, but there's even more coming, which is fantastic. It's kind of like setting your hope on the grace that'll be revealed to you. I think of it like, uh, like a little kid looking forward to Christmas. When you were little, did you, just, did you just set your mind and your hope on Christmas, or do you have kids that did? For me, it was, uh, my generation was the Sears catalog came in the mail, and you pulled out the Sharpie, and me and my brothers had different colored ones, and we would just circle I mean, like everything was marked up. I don't know how you could read anything in that, that, that book by the time we were done. Well, all the, none of the doll pages were marked up, but all the guy stuff was marked up, right? Bunch of little boys in our house. And uh, man, for months, like that's all we talked about. That's all we thought about. Like it just motivated everything about our life. Like our mind was just so fully set on that day coming and the grace that would be revealed to us under the tree 
And then it, it, it just, it, it affected everything about how we went through life in those days. For, for my son, Charlie, it's not the Sears catalog anymore. They're long gone. It's the Amazon catalog that comes, right? And uh, but that's what Peter's saying, like, like set your hope. He's talking about faith, and then he talks about hope, setting your hope on what's going to come, because when my hope is set on that, it, it affects how I live today, doesn't it? It affects what I talk about. It affects what I think about. It affects how I, how I go through life with joy and with hope, enjoying today and looking forward to that day. Well, he's talked about faith. He's talked about hope. Today, he's going to talk about love. Does that sound familiar? Faith, hope, and love. That shows up all throughout the New Testament. A lot of times we associate it primarily with Paul. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide or remain. These things, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Think about that time, a lot of times just as like something Paul says. But really it's the whole New Testament. Faith, hope, and love. It's New Testament theology. And they, they all intertwine with one another. Paul talks about it in Corinthians and Thessalonians, other places. And Peter talks about all three of them. Here, they're just, they're related to being born again, having faith and hope and love. And today we're going to talk about that, about love. So I mentioned we're going to give a couple marks that Peter gives here of what it looks like if you're truly born again. So if you're truly born again, number one, you're going to love one another. You're going to love others. Specifically, Peter is saying here, though, other people uh, of the family of God, because it's, it's an eternal family. It's it's, it's who you are. You know, this is one of the strongest statements here in verse 22. We're going to read it together again. Uh, of brotherly love in the New Testament because it, it kind of makes brotherly love, family love, love for one another, uh, the goal of our conversion. Look at what he says in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. So in other words, you've been born again. What for? Well, for a sincere brotherly love. Uh, that, that's the word Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. It comes from that same Greek word. It means like this, like family, like eternal first family. That's your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he goes on and he doubles down and he uses a different word for love here, the, the word agape or agapao, uh, love one another, like this deep-seated, deep down. And then he says to do it earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly uh, is really a kind of an athletic term, like this idea of like you're striving with every muscle, everything you've got, you're laying it all out on the line and everything is striving to love other people. Peter says, you, you've been born again and that's gonna result in love for one another. So love one another <laughs> earnestly, like just make it a focus of your life. Go after it with all that you are with every muscle. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. He says, just like I loved you, you ought to love one another. And he goes on in verse 35 of chapter 13, he even says, um, in fact, that's how people will know you're born again. That's how people will know you're my followers is if you what? Love one another. They're like, okay. But there's some people I don't like in this room. I hope you don't feel that way, but maybe you do. Or, or uh, it's hard to love though, isn't it? Would you agree with that? It's, it's hard to love. It is not an easy thing to do. Like it's easy to stand up here and say it. It's really hard to do it, really hard. Uh, so what does real love look like? 
Well, it's not the Valentine's mushy, feel-good love. There's emotion involved for sure. I'm not saying that. But it's deeper even than that. And, you know, of, of all the examples of this, uh, I, I think Paul says it better than anything I could do to, to tell you what this true brotherly, earnestly loving one another look like. And you'll recognize some of these words because you've probably heard them at 90% of the weddings you've ever been to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And don't check out when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, like, oh, I've heard that so many times. No, think of it now in terms of if you're born again, this is the love that you ought to have. This is the description of, of love for one another. Paul starts off, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I don't love, then I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, <clears throat> and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he says this in uh, verse four, love, he describes it, he says is patient and kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. See, you're saved to love one another. It, it, it seems to be, I mean, this is a strong statement from Peter that uh, having purified your souls for a brotherly love, love one another, it's like that's the, that's the reason we've been born again is to love one another. Like it's a huge reason. It's a, it's a huge fruit. It's a huge mark of if you've really trusted Jesus. Now that's not to say you never fail at it, right? It's not to say, it's not to say I never fail at it. But, but what's the overall trajectory right, over time, like are you growing in love for one another and love for other believers or not? And if not, then that kind of throws up a question mark that you ought to pay attention to, like on the dash of going, okay, am I, am I truly born again? Have I really turned to Jesus and let him change me and, and make me new? Because if you have, then over time, that, that love for others grows. It grows. But again, we don't always get it right. And that's, Peter knows that too. That's why after uh, talking about the word and the word being imperishable, and I think part of the reason he does that saying that'll last forever is that because th this is first family, right? This is our family. Hopefully your biological family is part of this spiritual family, but, but this spiritual family is what's gonna last forever. And uh, so he goes on then after making that point in, in chapter two, he, he, he comes back to this idea of loving one another. He says, so put away, he, put these things away. Get rid of them, take them off like a change of clothes. It's not who you are anymore, right? Like you've been traded to a new team if it was Jersey Sunday still last Sunday. Put on what's new, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and Envy and all slander. See, real love, uh, 
doesn't seek harm for others, but it seeks their good, doesn't it? And so these are some of the things he lists that we need to put off and take off and get rid of in our life. Uh, he, he says malice, all malice. Malice means uh, doing evil despite maybe some of the good that I've received in my life. Uh, it's this wicked ill will towards someone. Do you ever have that? Uh, man, I just, I hope they, that happens to them. Don't put, put that away. Put away all malice. All of it. It's not who you are anymore. James picks that up. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, James 1.21, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Paul says in Colossians, you've got to put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Peter says, put away all malice and all deceit. Well, deceit is just uh, deliberately lying, right? It's, it's tricking somebody for my gain. Uh, we're to put that away, misleading them. Peter will pick this up again in chapter three in uh, verse 10. He'll say, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He's quoting from Psalm 34 there. Another of Peter's favorites in this book. Uh, hypocrisy. Put away all hypocrisy means, uh, you, you know, you say one thing, but you do another. No, you, you've never been a hypocrite, have you? And probably nobody in this room. This is probably the one you're like, ah, I've never struggled with that one. That'd be me practicing hypocrisy if I said that. <laughs> or how about envy? Longing for what somebody else has or who they are or... Uh, this just results in discontent and resentment in my life. And I make unhealthy comparisons to somebody else. You know, uh, a long time ago, and I, I, someone just told me, you know, Josh, to, to, to grow in this, and I remember them saying, be happy for people when good things happen to them. And I, I've tried to make it a habit of mine. If somebody comes to me and, you know, they're like, hey, we, yeah, we got a new house or we're going on vacation or we got this good thing that's happening. It'd be really easy to go, oh, really? You're moving to Florida? It's 12 degrees. Awesome. I'm here. You know, and I could just be resentful and like harbor that and be envious. Or I could, I've tried to make it the first words out of my mouth. That's so great. I'm so excited for you and genuinely mean it and be excited for them. And if they, they receive something, and maybe they're even sheepish about it because they're like, ah, I don't want you to feel bad, but no, that's great. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Maybe you'd practice that. Maybe that'd be helpful for you. Just being happy for somebody when a good thing happens for them. And speaking it from your lips. Being thankful for the good that comes to others, not just myself. And then all slander. Slander, I mean, uh, destroying somebody else's good reputation by lies or gossip or rumor spreading. Uh, you know, there's an old proverb, whoever uh, gossips to you will later probably gossip of you. <laughs> so don't listen to it. Shut them down. If you find the need, you got to gossip. I can remember somebody one time saying too, just if you have to do it, say it into a tape recorder, but forget to put a tape in. Just let it go, like just get rid of it. That's what Peter's saying, put these things away. That's not who you are. Now I think of, of these five, everyone in this room, we've, 
every one of us, we've probably struggled to some degree at some point in our life with every one of these things. At some point, those things maybe have been true of you. But if you've been born again, you have a new identity, a brand new life, and you might still struggle with this, but that's not who you are. In fact, you've been given new life and you're dead to that. And so you gotta remind yourself, no, I'm gonna put that away. And when you find yourself, those things coming up in your, in your heart, you say, no, I'm, I'm dead to that. That's not who I am. I'm dead to that. And that's why God's word is so important because it, it reminds me who I am. It, it gives me hope for life. It, it shows me how to live. And when I intake this book into my heart and into my life and I hear from the Lord, these things just, they, they fade away. And they're easy to peel off and put away and be rid of. Listen to these words from Paul saying something similar to the church in Ephesus. He said, this is not the way you learned Christ. In other words, that's not who you are, friend. If you're born again, assuming that you have heard about him, assuming you really are truly born again and you were taught in him as the truth, it is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for, for we're members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. If you're truly born, that's not who you are. Love one another. And that love will spill out into love for others who even aren't part of our family, right? Because we're, we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And that being sent to love starts in this room and in our church and in your life group and that's where it begins. Do we fail? Sure we do, but, but what's the trajectory? See, if you're truly born again, one, Peter says you're gonna love others and two, uh, here's the second piece. You're going to long for more and more and more and more. Fill in, keep it going, of Jesus. You're going to long for Jesus. You will. See, chapter 2, put away all those things. And then verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You might grow up into who you truly are, into everything God created you to be. Like newborn babies here, it doesn't imply that, you know, Peter thought of his readers as young or immature. There's, there's other uh, metaphors in scripture um, where the idea of, of uh, like Hebrews chapter five, where milk is contrasted with meat or solid food, you know, and you need to grow up and it's time for some meat and potatoes, not just the milk. That's not the metaphor Peter's using here. He's saying, be like a newborn infant in your longing uh, for pure spiritual milk, for God's word. Well, how does a baby, think about this, how does a baby long for milk? They need it. <laughs> and when they need it, they need it when? Now. I mean, if you've had a little baby in your house ever, you know exactly what this like, is like when you've been woken up in the middle of the night and they throw a fit to get milk, to get something to drink, to get something to nourish them, right? Because they need, listen, Paul, Peter, excuse me, he's saying, long for this book just like a baby does for milk. 
Like, you got to have it. You got to get it. It's going to help you grow. It's going to nourish you. This is what you need to grow and to have new life. He says that long for spiritual milk, it's reminiscent of Psalm chapter 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you. You know that verse? Maybe you know the old song? I'm not going to sing it to you, don't worry. But as the deer pants for what, so my soul, it longs for God. Does your soul long for Jesus? By the way, another psalm, uh, if you just double that, 42.1, go to 84.2, you get another verse that talks about longing for God. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. What do you long for? Like, if one mark of being born again is a growing love for other people, another mark is, what, what do you really long for deep down? Like if you could peel back layer after layer after layer and get right down to the core, what do you long for? I think any of you, you've, if you've trusted Christ, you know, yeah, I have, I have longings that are wrong. I have, but if I peel that all the way back, I, I know deep down that this is what I need and that is what I long for. I long for Christ. I long for him, for more of him to spend time with him. What do you desire deep down? Friend, for you to grow up into your salvation, into all you are, you gotta long for this word, take in this word like a baby does milk. You gotta take it in. It's gotta, it's gotta get into your life and into your head and into your heart. And not just in terms of knowledge, but taking it in and then letting it change the way I live so that I live it out too, Right? Not just, not just growing in knowledge, but in action. That's the real measure of my maturity. You need nourishment to grow up into Christ. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter eight saying, uh, man doesn't live by bread alone when he was being tempted, right? But he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Paul emphasized the need for hearing and teaching and, and speaking the word of God to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, he told him, Peter, or Timothy's a young pastor, and Paul said, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We need God's pure spiritual milk. His words, Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. See, Peter says, like, like newborn infants, that you could grow up into who you really are. If indeed, he says, verse three, you, you have tasted the Lord is good. Paul said something similar to the church in Ephesus. If you've really trusted him, if you've really, tr- this is what you need, right? This is what you need. If you've tasted that he's good, he quotes there from Psalm 34. Again, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I would just say this, especially this, this last year, just with everything going on, it, it's easy to find ourselves in a rut. Um, I confess to you, I've struggled with depression at times over the last year. And uh, to taste and see and keep on tasting. Keep on tasting. Like go back for seconds, go back for more. Let it fill your life and fill your heart. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about some of this in terms of of spiritual habits, right? And you can go to wawaseebible.com backslash habits. We've got some memory verses there from 1 Peter that we're studying. Memorize it. You can print off the little cards and cut them up and, and memorize God's word. Pick out just one. Like I said, if you want the short one, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. 
Or uh, there's identity statements you can print off and maybe uh, put up uh, in your cubicle at work or on your mirror and who I am in Christ. And there's even the, the, the thing we went through of kind of uh, a drive through the word. We kind of used that metaphor last Sunday, the chapter. There's a, there's a chapter from an out-of-print book I uploaded there uh, that kind of uses that same metaphor that might be helpful to you. And uh, I'll link to the Spotify playlist of songs we sing on Sunday mornings for the last like five years. I added a couple more today that I think might combine some of those things for you. Uh, it's, there's a group called The Corner Room, and I think they're based out of Indianapolis, I'm pretty sure, from a church down there. And they have a few different albums out. Uh, two of them are just the Psalms. And the text, uh, like the lyrics of their music, is just, it's literally like straight ESV, this version of the Bible. But it's like really good music. It's not, it's not cheeseball music. You know what I mean, right? Like some stuff is just kind of cheesy. Like, uh, okay, that's good, but I don't want to listen to that. No, it's good music. And there's links there on that page to three of their albums, two that are from the Psalms and different styles of music. And there's one called uh, Remember and Proclaim. And they advertise it as being kind of geared towards kids. But we were listening, Hannah and I were listening to it the other day at home, and uh, it was good music. Like it's not, like anybody in this room, you'd probably enjoy some type of music on there from them. And literally, it's straight scripture. So you want, you want to get God's word into your life? You ever feel convicted that maybe you know more lyrics to songs on the radio than you do to this book? Uh, well, by music, that's a tool God's given us that helps us remember things. And so maybe you listen to his word being sung and, and memorize it that way. Um, friend, uh, friends, if you're truly born again, you're gonna grow to love others and to long more and more for Jesus. And that's my prayer for you and for our church. That can be your prayer for me. That I grow to love people more and more, grow to long for Jesus more and more, and listen, that happens as I get my nose in this book. And the same for you. Long for this pure spiritual milk. Let me pray for you.